Podcasting from the Star Group, home of the iconic Dressable Lions. This is Beyond the Known, the podcast that takes you a step beyond what you know about business. I'm your host, Paul M. Newberger, president of the Star Group. On today's episode of the Beyond the Known podcast, we're joined by Hector Cologne, president and CEO of Lutheran Social Services of Wisconsin and Upper Michigan. Hector, welcome to the program, sir. Happy to be here. Thank you very much, Paul, for having me. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about Lutheran Social Services. What's the mission of the organization? What do you do? Fill us in a little bit, please. Lutheran Social Services is a great organization. I've been there for three years now, and we provide lots of services to those most in need. A child in crisis who has nowhere to turn, a family in turmoil that might be facing eviction, someone with uh, severe persistent mental illness or experiencing drug and alcohol addiction, an elderly person that needs assistance to live in their home independently and successfully, or a refugee that's fleeing from war and persecution. Each and every day, we have staff that are living out our mission, which is to act compassionately, serve humbly, and lead courageously. I'd say our value proposition at LSS are the three E's. One, is our experience. We've been around for 138 years demonstrating proven results for the people we serve. The second E is effective, where we 90% of the individuals we serve indicate that we improve their quality of life. And the third E is efficient. The majority of dollars that go into direct client care, we beat the industry average by far. And so those are the three E's for LSS. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper as the program goes on, but you've lived quite a life. You've had a number of different experiences, success along the way, pretty much every step of the way. How did you get associated with LSS in the first place? Yeah, so I was working for as Director of Health and Human Services for Milwaukee County, and I was going through my last reconfirmation process And right after that, about a month later, I got approached by the board chair and he said, hey, everywhere I turn, people say I need to speak with you. So would you be interested in having a conversation about being the president and CEO at Lutheran Social Services? So we had a glass of wine. We're supposed to spend an hour. We spent two. He went home late to his wife. He said, he told his wife, he tells me now that if LSS were his company, that he would hire me on the spot. But I did go through a robust six-month process and finally was able to obtain president CEO role. It's amazing what a glass of wine can do, isn't it? <laughs> did you ever see yourself running a nonprofit? You know, I consider myself a product of the United Community Center, having gone there since I was nine years old and benefiting from the boxing programs and the baseball programs and playing basketball there and And then working there, I was the associate executive director at the United Community Center. So I always did have a passion and a dream to becoming a CEO of a nonprofit. And this one just happened to come my way. And I didn't know that much about LSS prior to taking on the role, but it turned out to be just a great fit for me. Yeah. And a lot of times when we talk about nonprofits, rightfully so, we talk about their mission. We talk about the impact they have on the community. But at the end of the day, and you can speak to this better than just about anybody else, Hector, a nonprofit is still a business and you have to run it like a business. This jumped off the page at me when we looked at some of the information about you prior to you coming into the studio. Before the commencement of your tenure in 2017, the organization had not met its budget for four consecutive years. 
Since that time, Lutheran Social Services has generated multi-million dollar surpluses with a gain of $2.4 million in 2019. That is quite a turnaround. How'd you do it? Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'd like to say my leadership team and the humble servant leaders at LSS. So I had lots of information coming into the organization because it was a six-month process, but I didn't come in with my own vision, my own direction, my own strategy, and tell the, the organization, now let's implement it. Rather, I came with a different approach, and I asked five questions. I said, what are the biggest challenges the organization is facing? Why are we facing those challenges? What are some of our biggest opportunities for growth? What do we need to do to leverage those opportunities? And if you were me, what would you focus your attention on? It truly is the answers and insights to those questions that really led to the transformation of the organization. And we really co-created a strategic plan with all in the organization to achieve our great results. So I'm very proud of the approach we took. I'm very humbled and honored to be surrounded by great, humble servant leaders and an organization that really espouses our values, which are co-creation, change, compassion, and courage. I understand that this might be specific to the various organizations and individuals if we looked at this on a case-by-case basis. So you don't know all the details, but we're going to get into this in a second as well too, but you are no stranger to financial turnarounds. I mean, this is a gift of yours. This is a strength of yours. Why do you think most CEOs and C-suite executives fail to turn an organization around. You're obviously succeeding. Lutheran Social Services is thriving under your leadership. Why do some individuals not succeed in this area while others do, do you think? Well, I'm not exactly sure why others uh, don't succeed, but I think my approach has always been a servant leadership approach where you really involve others, you really co-create the future with them, you ultimately making sure that their health and well-being is they're doing well, they're paid well, they're recognized, they're appreciated, and they're really involved in how you move the organization forward. So that has been my approach, and I think that that approach yields great results because you really have the buy-in of the individuals within the organization. You get the excitement and the engagement from them, and that's what's really going to lead to transformational results and long, long-standing results. Yeah, and speaking of transformational results, we talked about this as well. As the executive director of the Milwaukee County Department of Health and Human Services, you and your team took multi-million dollar deficits and turned them into multi-million dollar surpluses. You got the Midas touch there, my <laughs> friend. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about is it one and the same? Is turning a nonprofit organization around similar to what you did in government, or are those two totally separate entities? It's similar, but I will say that there are some differences. So in the government sector, I would recommend a leadership government job to anybody that wants to become a great leader. Because in government, you it's hard. You have policymakers, you have advocates, you have constituents. You have staff, you have union. It's just a really tough environment at times in order to lead and move forward change. The other thing is with government is a lot of times you really have to have the virtue of courage because you have to stand to do the right thing even in the midst of 
you know, like significant opposition. So that's one thing that I felt very proud of is that I came into that role really wanting to do the right thing for the county, for the staff, as well as for the individuals we served, but also for the taxpayers. And when you do that, it can be really difficult. But again, surrounding yourself with a team that wants to fight for that is what was necessary for us to achieve, I would say, the extraordinary results we achieved while at Milwaukee County under very, very difficult circumstances. So probably not a shocker to you, but not everybody holds politicians or government officials in the highest light. Government can be a four-letter word in some circles, I suppose. Having served in that capacity, having seen it from the inside, is government really as bad as some people say? Good question. No, there are great, humble public servants within government, lots of great individuals that are truly making a great difference on the lives of many and really contributing to society in meaningful ways and really talented individuals. So I want to start off with that. You know, sometimes the challenge in politics, though, can be just the divisiveness and polarization amongst the politicians. So that is a challenge that, you know, I think is unfortunate. I think more individuals need to come together and work on common ground and find areas where they can work together versus the divisiveness that separates us. So there's good people, but there's challenges in our system. And it's across the board, whether it be, you know, at the federal level, the county level, the state level, it's just a challenge. I actually have a passion for that in terms of I wish we could really bring people together the way I think it used to be. A lot of times, you know, Republicans, Democrats, they had drinks together. They, you know, their families got together. And they didn't agree on every issue, but they focused on the areas where they did agree and they got stuff done. I wish we had more of that today. I think that's missing in our politics today. Why do you think that's missing to the degree that it is today? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know if I can answer that, but I think one thing is that both parties have gone to the extremes and our electoral process has really facilitated that. So individuals that might be in the middle or pragmatic or solutions-oriented and let's get the best ideas, they might not make it past the primaries. And so I think that's part of the issue, you know, but I wish it could be different. And, And having said that, there's still a lot of great individuals, a lot of great politicians that are there for the right reasons. They're, they're public servants. They want to make a difference in our society. There's lots of them, but it's just a challenge we have in our society today. I wish it would be different. Yeah. And I think one of the knocks on elected officials is they don't get things done. That does not appear to be the case for you, Hector. So when you were the executive director of the Milwaukee County Department of Health and Human Services, You led a variety of countywide initiatives, including efforts to reform the juvenile justice system, end chronic homelessness, transform mental health care, and end a 30-year wait list for disability services. That's quite a list of accomplishments there. If you had to pick what you were most proud of as a government official, what would it be and why? Hands down. So all of those are great initiatives, but I'd say hands down the closure of our long-term care institution. For me, this was this should have been closed a long time ago. This was about robbing people of their dignity. 
we were warehousing people in some cases for decades or even all of their lives. And you know what? This is actually against the law as referenced in the Olmstead Act. So we were institutionalizing people against the law. We had poor outcomes. It was costing lots of money. And we were robbing people of their dignity. And so I moved forward with my team with lots of courage to close the long-term care institution. We had about 170 individuals that were locked up. We transitioned them with person-centered plans. Whatever one individual needed, we provided them with the supports for them to be successful. We had lots of opposition saying these individuals are going to die. These individuals are going to kill others. It's going to be more costly. Just lots of uh, public comments in, in front of the news about me, that I was throwing these individuals out in the streets and they were going to be homeless. None of that happened. These individuals transitioned into the community successfully with better dignity, with better outcomes, and we saved millions of dollars. But it, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. The county board at the time threatened not to confirm me a couple times uh, because of that effort. But again, I stood with my team. I stood with the community. I stood with people with lived experience to move that initiative forward, and I think it was very successful. How were you able to get through that difficult time? People saying things that aren't true, people throwing your name out there. I mean, you're in government, so reading about your name in the newspaper or having people say things about you that you know necessarily aren't true. How were you able to endure that trying time and and get through that? Yeah, I think first and foremost, God, my relationship with Jesus Christ is central to my life and has really helped me overcome significant challenges, not only those type of challenges, but just challenges in general in life. So lots of prayer, daily mass, meditation throughout the day, just spiritual reading, scripture. I mean, I'm real, my day is filled with Jesus. And so that really helps. I also rely on my family, my wife, you know, that provides me with great support and guidance, and also friends. I rely on friends. You need friends. Uh, You need to surround yourself with good people that you can share your feelings with, and they can encourage you and be there for support. So you have to do all of that. You can't do it by yourself. You know, these, especially those situations are, are tough, and they can really wear on you. So you have to rely on others. So we've spent some time talking about the professional turnarounds that you've been involved in. There's also a pretty profound personal turnaround that you were associated with. And for those of our listeners that don't know much about Hector's past, he was a a pretty stellar boxer, was on the U.S. (laughs) national boxing team. He won seven national titles and even competed in the 1992 Olympic trials. Yet Hector, at the height of your boxing career, You stepped away from your Olympic dreams and the potential to earn millions of dollars. Why'd you do that? Yeah, good question. So as I was heading up, I was 19 years old, going into the Olympic trials, and I was favored to go to the Olympics, and I lost to Jesse Brasino, and my dreams were shattered. I was so hurt at the time. One thing I realized at the time is that something that was so important to me and I wasn't focused. I was distracted by different relationships and something. I wasn't working as hard as I should have for that very important moment. And I, even to this day, there's a little pinch in my heart about that. When that happened, I was expecting to, I'm going to win the gold medal. I'm going to become a millionaire. The promoter's going to be all over me. And when I lost, 
the promoters were nowhere to be found, or at least the big time promoters. And so I started searching and praying. And on December 27, 1992, I gave my life, I bought my first Bible and gave my life to Christ. And ever since, my life has never been the same. Six months later, I did fight Jesse Brasino again, the guy that beat me. This time I knocked him out in the first round for the U.S. championship. I was focused. There was nothing that was going to take that fight away from me. Knocked him out in a minute and 39 seconds. The promoters came back and started uh, engaging me. But one offered me 20000 another offered me 10000 At the time, I'm 19, I said, that could buy me a car, but that's not going to buy me a career. I continued to pray and discern. And after a year of prayer and discernment, I felt a strong calling away from the sport. And it was one scripture that really touched me in particular. It's in Corinthians where it talks about we're temples of the Holy Spirit. What we do to ourselves, we do unto God. And I pictured myself in this ring trying to hurt that person. And I'm going to be a good sportsman, Syrup. I'm going to hug the person. But I'm in there to knock the guy out. And I, in turn, could get hurt. And that kind of affected me. And I felt that that was wrong. And so it was a really hard decision, lots of tears, lots of pain, and but I made the decision to give it up. And But that same dedication, determination, and discipline, I applied that into my life uh, in, as a boxer. It was the same dedication, determination, and discipline I applied to be a father, a husband, or a professional in my career. I'm really striving for excellence. As you sit here today talking to me, any regrets? from walking away from the boxing career? Yeah, no. You know, throughout my life, I've always felt, I've thought about it. You know, I ended up beating Vernon Forrest. I beat him twice. He ended up becoming a four-time world champion. Jose Antonio Rivera, I knocked him out. He ended up becoming a three-time world champion. I competed with some of the best welterweights ever to ever grace the ring. So when I saw them you know, being successful and, you know, doing well. Sure, there was a little pain in my heart, but I never thought I made the wrong decision. I believe to this day I made the right decision. I don't regret it. In fact, I'm very blessed that I made that decision and feel I have my family, I have my brains. You know, so many boxers, you know, they get hurt. They're different people today. Many of them made millions and now they're broke. They have broken families. So I made the right decision. Yeah, and I think one could say, too, that even though you're not in boxing, boxing is still in you to yes. some degree because really for two primary reasons. You right now are an independent director on the board of USA Boxing, and you also have your first book coming out in August, From Boxing Ring to Boardroom. Could you tell us about your involvement with boxing and what that looks like today? Sure. So I'm on the USA Boxing Board. My whole primary purpose to be on that board was first, you know, I, I'm honored to serve on a board that had a huge impact on my life, being on the U.S. Olympic national team, traveling all over the world, getting to visit places I never would have visited if it wasn't for boxing. So the honor, the prestige that that taught me as a young child, but also getting to experience different cultures. It was an amazing experience that I had through boxing, and I'm very grateful for that. So it's an opportunity for me to give back to the sport generally, but also specifically, I want to be a voice for those kids that they don't get taken advantage of. A lot of promoters are, are trying to scoop these kids up when they're 15, 16 years old, offer them 10, 20,000 dollars. 
and then they turn professional and they don't receive what they should receive. And so I want to just be there as a voice, to be there as a mentor, to let them know that if they're going to turn pro, that they should be careful on who they associate themselves with, understand the boxing as a business, which is a tough business, and make sure that they make the right choices and decisions and stay clean. So tell us a little bit about your book. I mean, this sounds like an exciting new endeavor. I'm sure there's some life lessons learned along the way, some stories that have kind of made you who you are today. But why don't you tell us a little bit about that? What can potential readers expect from your new book, From Boxing Ring to Boardroom? Sure. They'll get a little glimpse of some personal stories in my childhood. And I talk about my family and uh, growing up on the near south side of Milwaukee. And I start off, you know, into the boxing ring. And, you know, I talk about you know, what it took to be a champion. And then I go on to my education and my professional life. But throughout the book, it's really focused on five virtues that really has guided my life to get from the boxing ring to the boardroom. And they are magnanimity, which is really about striving for greatness. Humility, which is about service to others. Courage, which is about facing your fears and fighting to do the right thing. Perseverance, which is about not giving up and temperance, which is about self-control. So the essence of the book really focuses on those five virtues. And then towards the end of the book, I pretty much say where I want to grow as an individual. So I kind of get vulnerable and say where I make mistakes, where I need to learn. And so that's a little bit of the flavor of the book. So one of the questions that might be on a number of the minds of our listeners here today is how the heck do you have time to do all of this? I mean, you're the president and CEO of Lutheran Social Services, and you're doing a truly amazing job in turning that organization around. You're now a published author. You're on the USA Boxing Board. You also are on the UW Board of Regents, plus a family man and doing the various pursuits that you like to enjoy. How do you find time to do all of this, but not just to do it successfully? What types of time management lessons can we learn from you? Thank you. But I would ask you that question because I think you do more than me, but, <laughs> and you're the expert. But I'll share with you a few points. I think I'm very efficient in my time. I try not to waste time. You know, I wake up very early in the morning and start the day right. I think that's very important. Wake up at 445, uh, start off with prayer, start off with gratitude, just thanking God for all the wonderful things that he has given me in my life. Then I focus a little bit of meditation on how I want to serve God and others in the day and do a little meditation, then work out, go to Mass. So I really try to start my day out right. And throughout the day, I have little prayers, little meditation opportunities to share gratitude. So I think that level of focus really helps me. And I try not to get distracted with things that are are not meaningful or productive or helpful to my life and my family. Everything you just said makes total sense. Somebody listening to this says, okay, Hector, you're right. I'm going to get more focused. I'm going to prioritize. I'm going to make sure that I'm more productive. That sounds good. But from a practitioner perspective, how does one start to get more focused? What advice would you give to somebody who wants to be more focused, who wants to excel in that area, what advice would you get give to him or her to start going down that path effectively? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think you want to be really focused on your purpose. So what is the purpose that you have? What is the difference you want to make in the world? And and really start narrowing down on that. So for me, first and foremost, it's my family. I want to make sure that my family are doing very well. They get to heaven. My kids are going to be very successful. So my focus is, is on them. But then also my work. For me personally, my personal calling is to sanctify my work, sanctify myself through my work, and sanctify others through my work. And my work is bigger than the CEO job. My work is at home. It's at work as CEO, but it's also work in the community. What would you say are two or three of the best traits that a leader could possess? You've been a leader in the boxing ring. You've been a leader in government. You're now a leader of a very large organization. What would you say are some of the best traits that a leader could possess and why? Yeah, I'd start off with listening. You know, good leaders really want to not speak so much and maybe ask strategic questions and listen. And a good CEO will learn a lot by doing that. So I think listening is very important. But listening beyond just hearing, listening for body gestures, you know, how is somebody doing based on how they're reacting to certain situations. So it's about being very aware, which is another trait. I think having awareness is really important, internal awareness about your own self, as well as better awareness about others. And another one I'd say is humility. Humility is something that I think is very important. Humility from the perspective of realizing as a CEO, you need the others to be successful. And you rely on others so that you can bring your best foot forward. So those are a few traits that I would say are very important. Help our listeners to understand the scope of Lutheran Social Services. I mean, this is a large organization. You're touching a ton of lives. And the ministries that you're involved with just drastically exceeded what I initially thought it was until I became more familiar with your organization. So. Can you walk us through a little bit about just how many lives you're touching and how you're touching those lives? Yes, thank you. So our organization is about $60 in revenue. We're in 60 counties of the 72 in Wisconsin, and we're also located in Upper Michigan, so a small part there. Annually, we serve over 30,000 individuals in Wisconsin and Upper Michigan, again, 90 which uh, have indicated that we improve their quality of life. So behavioral health services, addiction services, foster care, housing programs for persons with disabilities, the elderly, and the refugee uh, refugee programs. So lots of programs that we do throughout Wisconsin and Upper Michigan, making a big difference on the lives that need us most. So we talk about a lot of the things that are going well for Lutheran Social Services, but with just about any nonprofit or any organization in general, There's challenges, there's needs. And if one of our listeners is hearing what you're saying today and says, you know what, I want to get involved. Mm -hmm. You know what, I want to help. What are the biggest needs right now for Lutheran social services that somebody could potentially assist with? Thank you for the question. A couple things. One is we're launching a new residential treatment facility for women and men in the Waukesha area. And it was a $1.7 million capital campaign 
we're still in need of about 250. So we made great progress to achieve that goal. We're still in need of about 250. So this is a center where it's literally saving lives in the Waukesha County area. And specifically for women, this type of facility with the comprehensive services that it has is really not available to women in that area. So this is something that we're moving forward with. We've been making call-outs to our community, asking for help. But, you know, generally speaking, LSS, one of the reasons why they had the deficits that they've had in the past is because of fundraising. So it's not an organization that has really uh, focused on that. Less than 3% of our revenue comes from charitable contributions, where the industry average, according to Harvard, is 25%. If we were to just get to 5 6%, it would add millions of dollars to our bottom line. So that is something that we're starting to focus on. We're starting to share our stories. And we want donors and individual leaders in this community, allow them to be, for them to be part of our story. And so we would appreciate that very much. So if somebody is interested in supporting Lutheran social services in some way, shape, or form, Where should they go? Who should they talk to? Sure. Look up our website. They can call me directly, Hector Colon. My email is hector.colon at lsswis.org. Or look me up on the website and uh, contact me directly, and I'd be happy to have a conversation with you, share our story, the difference that we're making, show you around. You know, we have locations all across Wisconsin, so if somebody wanted to visit one of our facilities We'd be happy to to share, to go through that with them. You know, maybe some people want to volunteer. We, we can look for those opportunities as well. And maybe some people want to serve on our board, like, like you, Paul. Uh, we're so thankful that you would be willing to serve on our board. Your talents and expertise are great for us. It's something that we're very much looking forward to working with you. Uh, so if there's others in the community that have a passion for what we do and want to have a conversation about that too, we will definitely have that conversation. From my experience and from several of the conversations I've had with leaders of nonprofits, believe it or not, fundraising is not always their favorite activity. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that presents a difficult challenge for some individuals. My question for you is, how has fundraising gone for you? What have you learned about it? What types of techniques potentially have you implemented that is moving the mission of LSS forward. Yeah, thank you for the question. So when I first started at LSS, the fundraising team of six did not report to me. It reported to a volunteer foundation board. And so about a year and a half into my tenure, I've been here for three years, I felt that that needed to change. And I made a call for that change. This took courage because this was a big thing to request uh, for some changes within the staff and then for full responsibility of that. So I do have that now, and I've been rebuilding the team. And so four of the six people are new, and we only have four instead of six. So we're still rebuilding the team. And, And one thing that we're doing is really cleaning up our database and having better donor management systems and more frequent communication So I'd say that we're just starting that right now. I have a great team, though, that's really experienced and and do very well. The part, I love meeting with people and understanding their stories and getting to uh, know their passions. And so it's something I love doing. 
and something that I'm trying to spend a lot of my time on now. So obviously you've experienced a lot of stuff in your life. You've accomplished a lot in your life, but you've been a lifelong learner. You've learned along the way. You've grown along the way. One of those old adages, those famous questions, if only I knew then what I know now, what would that have been for you, for the younger Hector Cologne? If you could have imparted some words of wisdom to the younger Hector Cologne then, what you know now, what would that be and why? Be ready. So when I was in the Olympic trials, the biggest opportunity of my life, I should have been in the Olympics and would have went professional and probably made millions just like Vernon Forrest and some of the other boxers I beat. And I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready because I wasn't focused. And I didn't put all of my effort into something that should have been so important to me at that particular point in time. Now, I'm very thankful that it didn't work out that way. I think my life is so much better now that I didn't make the Olympics and turn professional. But in hindsight, I should have been there. And so be ready and work really hard. I think the virtues that I share in my book, magnanimity, strive for greatness. Don't be mediocre. Don't be good, but strive for greatness. And it takes intention and fortitude in order to do that. Be courageous. Fight to do the right thing. Don't be scared. Go out there and fail. Perseverance. Go out there and fail because if you're not failing, then you're not challenging yourself enough. You're not really moving forward to do extraordinary things. And temperance. Have self-control. Don't allow your natural impulses to control your behavior. You know, you might get tested in the community. Have self-control. Don't allow some situation to ruin your life and your career. Well, Hector, I got to tell you, my expectation for this conversation was very high, Mm -hmm. but you exceeded my already very high, lofty expectations. I learned a lot from you. I always find myself inspired at the completion of one of our discussions. And on behalf of everybody here at Beyond the Known, we really do appreciate you taking time out of your busy day for us here today. Paul, thank you so much. And you're an incredible person and leader and family man and and Christian. And I really value your your friendship and the significant contributions you are making in this community and in Milwaukee. Milwaukee is better because of you. And thank you. I'm proud to be your friend. Well, thank you, sir. Very nice of you to say. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Known with Paul M. Newberger. If you like our show and want to know more, Check us out at stargroup.com. That's S-T-A-R-R group.com slash podcast. We're also available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.